Abundance of love Abundance of grace Now to that cross You took my place Oh God You paid my ransom My ransom Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. What God has to say to you today for the purpose of hearing something that you can obey. Because as we read the Bible, God begins to open up heaven to bless us. As we learn the Bible, God begins to sink his word down inside us to bless us. But as we walk out in obedience what the Bible tells us to do, The blessing of God overtakes us, and that's what I want. I don't want you just to have a little bit of blessing because you come to church every now and then. I don't want you to have just a little bit of blessing because you drop some money in the bucket every now and then. I want you to let the blessing of God overtake you to whether you're going or coming, up, down, in, or out, that you know that the blessing of God is all around you. In John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus was speaking to his followers, and he said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. In a more modern translation, John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, You Have to Love People. Say, love people. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here, Lord. I thank you for life and for health. God, we thank you for the beautiful weather. Lord, we thank you that we were able to come here today to sit with other believers, to listen to your taught word. God, I ask you to anoint me that I would say things that would honor you, Lord. I ask you to anoint us that we would have spiritual ears to hear what you're saying. God, your word is perfect and it's valuable. And I pray that it would come forth today with power, God. I pray it would come forth today in a way that we can understand it, Lord. Help me to read the scripture and cause it to make sense, God. Help us to choose your way today over our way because our confession is we believe you are real, we believe you're alive, and we believe your way is best. So God, I ask you to have your way and do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. You have to love people. This sounds like a very easy concept, especially since us and many other churches have adopted in some form or fashion as their motto, their slogan, a church saying uh, some kind of way or another to say, love God, love people. That's the two things Jesus said were the big ones. Jesus said the biggest commandment in the world is that you love God with everything you have. And the second is that you love people. So loving God and loving people is really the core of Christianity. So you can determine how well you're doing, how healthy your Christianity is just by looking at those two specific parts of your life. Are you really loving God? If you love someone, you spend time with them. If you love someone, you treat them right. If you love someone, you like to do the things they like to do. If you love someone, you you talk to them and you listen to them. Uh, That goes for God. Are you doing all those things with God? It goes with people, too. If you love someone, you like being with them. You like hanging out with them. You like doing the things that they 
like to do. And I want to talk to you about loving people because I believe for some people it's easier to love God than it is people. And I believe the deeper you grow in God, the easier it will be for you to love God. But it will still not always be that easy to love people. Because the more you learn about God, the more there is to love about God. And listen to me, the more you learn about people, the more there is to love about God. Are you following me? See, God is perfect. God will never do you wrong. People that say they got hurt in church, their church hurt. The church didn't hurt them. A human being inside the church hurt them. Because God doesn't hurt people. God helps people. God blesses people. God loves people. And the more you learn about God, the more you fall in love with him. But the more you learn about people sometimes, the more you just want to stay home. The the more you just want to realize, I, I don't have one more spot in my back for a knife. I've been pin cushioned up. I've been stabbed in the back enough. I, I've been mistreated enough. And you can find yourself walking through the life that God has given you with a very jaded mindset about people. Some people are very jaded about preachers. They suspect every preacher is, is, is on a hustle and a con. Some people are very jaded about salespeople. They're convinced that every salesperson is a thief and, and a ripoff. And these are not always true. Whenever you find yourself classing people and judging someone by your association with someone that does something like them or did something like them, you need to take a moment and realize, I need to get to know people individually. How many of y'all know that there are car salesmen out there that, that might be more than willing to rip you off and take advantage of you? Anybody believe that? Okay, I also know for a fact there are car salesmen out there that love the Lord, and they just love helping people and getting people a good deal on a car. All right, that's in every type of sales operation that there is. I know that there are people, preachers that are out there that are on a hustle that keep their date calendar filled up with church members married and single. Somebody should gasp. But I also know that there are preachers out there that live on their knees and that they serve God in, in truth and in honor and for real. The problem we have is when we start looking at people and saying, yeah, they remind me a whole lot of a dude I used to go to college with, and that dude was, was scheming. I, I didn't trust him, so I don't trust them. This is not the way God wants you to live. You just can't look at every uh, large African-American ball-headed man that sits on the front row of church and just naturally assume things about him. You know, in my former church, there was a dude set up front, kind of looked like him. And, uh, and you just start, I have heard people say, I, I want to name my baby so-and-so, and then the, the spouse will be like, no, we can't do that because I had a classmate named that one time and they were no good. And just throw the whole baby name out based on association. Are you following me? We need to learn how to love everyone and make sure that we're not prejudging people based on what we think we know about them. I have seen people in this election say that anybody that votes for Donald Trump is guilty of everything Donald Trump's guilty of by association. 
Anybody voted for Donald Trump? I saw somebody put on social media and said, I know, if you're voting for Donald Trump, these are the things I know about you. You are a racist. You hate women. And, and this whole list of things, and I've seen people do the same thing. If you are voting for crooked Hillary, I know that you support treason, lying, falsifying, uh, giving out classified information. I know that you're a murderer. And they just, I'm like, because somebody's voting one way, you think you know things about them that you really don't know about them. People look at us on our skin color and make assumption about us. People look at what we drive and make assumption about us. People listen to how we speak or how we talk, and they're speaking and there's talking. And they make assumptions about us. But I would love to see a group of people who were willing to say, it doesn't matter to me what you look like, what, 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 who you're voting for. It doesn't matter to me how tall, short, fat, skinny, ugly, white, brown, black, red, yellow, what your background is. I'm willing to get to know you as the you you are to me. Because the you you are to me is what matters to me. The you that somebody else thinks you are, that, that's what they think they know about you. And this is why so many times it's hard for us to reach our family and our friends for Christ. Because when we come to Christ, the Bible says we become new people. But they keep thinking they know us. They keep thinking, nah, I know him. He's faking that church thing right now, but I know him. You know the, him, you know. The Bible says that we get the opportunity to change. Even, even after you get saved, you still have a journey to make. And the Bible says every day God's mercies are new. And some of your family might be thinking, well, you know, so-and-so supposedly got saved years ago, and they're still this, 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 and this. They're still in their process. And as long as the church is judging people, it, it hinders their ability to allow God to grow them. I heard a message one time. It made so much sense to me. It said, Maybe if you, it said, if you leave me alone, maybe God can fix me. And that's just good advice. That is good advice. We need to make sure that the person we're concentrating on, whether that person's living right or wrong, is ourself. Because we're the only one that we have to give account for. But Jesus said in John 13, 35, that our love for each other will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That's one of the things I love about Abundant Life. It has bothered people in every location we've been at as a church. We started in a little tiny community outside of Middleburg called Clay Hill. It is the demographically whitest community possibly in America. I did a demographic study when I got there. And within in a one-mile circle, a five-mile, three-mile, and a five-mile geographic circle, within one mile of that church, it is 99.8% Caucasian. I'm thinking, this is, this is a Navy town. There's got to be some Filipinos in there somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I know some sailor went over and brought somebody back. I mean, I grew up as a military brat. I know... I know I, and I'm thinking, you know, this, this is the country. This is North Florida. There, there's some African-Americans. 99.8. I don't know how you get 0.2 of a person. 
in a three mile, 99.4. And I'm like, there's nowhere in America there's 99% any, uh, Avenue B ain't even 99% black, but you really don't want to be down there too late at night. Trust me about that. If you go five miles away from where the church started, it picked up a Shantyville community called Foreman Circle out by the new uh, Vistar way out down Blanding in South Middleburg, and it dropped down to about 95. I mean, this place was whiter than, than rice on a paper plate in a snowstorm in the middle of Alaska. It was just... That's funny. Whiter than rice on a paper plate in a snowstorm in the middle of Alaska. That's how white this place was. And it bothered people used to stand outside and stop cars in front of our church to watch to see, was that really black people getting out of churches in Clay Hill? We had people at the gas station, Caddy Corner, to our church be told, don't let the sun go down on your black behind in Clay Hill. In the 15 years of being a church. And so I, we left there and we went to Lake Asbury. And everywhere, and we left there, came to Orange Park and then ended up here. And everywhere we've been, I've watched people come in the door and look like this. African-American members tell, tell their, their co-workers and their family and friends, yeah, I'm going to this church. It's over so-and-so. I think you'll like it. They come in and see me standing up here, and they're wondering, where's the pastor? <laughs> and they're thinking, I know Jamal ain't sent me to know this no white dude preaching. I need, I need the Holy Ghost. I need anointed speaking. You know. Bubba and, and Sally Mae walk in with, with Biffy and, and, and Becky Sue, and they stop at the door. And the man leans in. I don't know exactly what he always says. I'm just assuming he says, hold on to your purse, because she usually pulls it in tighter at that point. But I've watched this at every church location we've been in, but I think it's cool because the community is seeing something in abundant life they don't get to see in most churches. Because Dr. King said it then, and it's still true today, the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Black church, white church, Hispanic church, whatever. People segregate by race and by class. Rich white folk, poor white. I mean, it's just as segregated as it possibly could be. And it shocks people when they see abundant life. And I always, when people ask me, I always take them back to what Jesus said about people. Our love for each other will prove to the world that we're following him. Not, not our ability to live perfect lives. Not how much scripture we can quote. Not how big a church we grow. Not how fancy our buildings or our programs are. I saw somebody broadcasting a youth event from a local church in Jacksonville, their youth event looked like it was being held in a stadium bigger than the Memorial Coliseum. And, I mean, it was just like thousands of people in there. They were pumping in smoke and laser light shows. And I'm like, man, it looked like a, a, a 
a concert people all like getting high at. But it was huge. But God didn't say because you have laser light shows and, and perfect buildings, that's how people would know that you're following me. He said, by the way you love each other. And I see a lot of people overcoming things at Abundant Life that other people don't choose to overcome in the name of love. See, we're not gathered here today because we all come from the same background. We're not gathered here today because we all went to the same school. We're not gathered here today because we're all of the same race. We're gathered here today. The commonality that we share is that we're all following Jesus, that we all believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. So the world needs to see unity inside the church. And I believe that's why church attendance is lower in America than it's ever been. Church attendance is declining in America in the Christian church. The Wiccan church is growing and the Islam movement is growing. But in the Christian church, attendance is declining. Why? Because people been to Christian churches and they didn't see all this love and unity. They saw a bunch of backbiting and division. If you don't get anything out of today's message, I want you to get this. God wants you to love other Christians. God wants you to love people that follow his son. That's the proof that is going to help us win our world to Christ. It's not if such and such politician gets elected, America's going to get on the right path. And it's not if such and such politician loses, all hope is lost. I already told y'all, listen, I don't know who's going to win. I don't have a stake in this thing. Jesus is going to be on the throne before, during, and after the election. But let me dispel two things that I'm sure of. I've heard people say it, and they try to make this belief wide known. I've heard people say, if Hillary Clinton wins, all hope is lost for the church because she's not for God. That, 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 listen, it does, if Hillary Clinton wins, all hope is not lost for the church. Don't believe that. Stop, stop believing that, you know, if, if Hillary wins, that, that, that the church is just going to disappear and dry up and, and, and it's never going to exist again. God is bigger than that. And the one I've heard on the other side is if Donald Trump wins, they're going to put us back in chains. They don't have enough chains to put people back into. And so don't, don't buy into this hype and fear, which this is what this election is more about than anything, fear. Not what each person stands for, but trying to get you scared of the other person winning. I, I see commercials coming out now saying, the investigation's back opened up with the FBI. If you vote for Hillary, she'll probably be in prison but before she gets to take office. They don't understand how government works. Hillary's got a friend named Barack who got an ink pen that can pardon her for anything he wants to. So don't get carried away with the foolishness of fear and how it's going to impact us. What we need to do, vote our conscience, get up every day, be the best people we can be, and decide at the end of it all, God is my king and people who claim Christ are my family. We got to stay united. Because it's our love for each other that is the only hope of reaching the world with the message that we have. So we got to stay united. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not by what color Bible cover you have. Not by how you dress the church. Not by which church you go to. But because you love each other. I want you to think in your mind. Don't answer out loud. 
But think in your mind, who do you love? Who do you really love? If you had to put on paper right now, from most important to least important, because everybody that you love is important, but from the strongest to, to, to less, how many people would make your list? How many people would make the, this is the sure enough, this is my ride or die list, this is my, this is my no doubt about it list? How many people make your list? I want to propose to you this morning that the average person's list would be small. If you ever really understand what it means to ride or die, you'll stop calling people your ride or die. Oh, that's my ride or die. They, they, we, we're down forever. Well, you said that about other people, and they didn't die, but they're not riding anymore. So what? <laughs> Who do you love, though? Who do you love? I hope you love all the people that live in your home. And if you ever say out of your mind or think in, out of your mouth or think in your mind, well, I love them, but I don't always like them, that's a perversion of truth. When you stop liking people, your love flow is cut off. And we as followers of Christ need to learn how to not just love God because some of that can just be done as lip service. We need to learn how to love people. We need to learn how to treat people right. We need to learn how to see people as human beings that God created. I, I heard a story about a revivalist uh, who everywhere he went, Charles Finney, everywhere he went, revival broke out. People just got saved everywhere he went. And one preacher boy was visiting him after revival service, and they were at a hotel room, and he said, I want to have the power of God on my life the way you have the power of God on your life. He said, well, what are you talking about specifically, young preacher? He said, well, when you preach, people come and get saved. And when I preach, it doesn't always happen like that. And I, I, I want to see the same type of results when I preach. And the preacher said, well, walk over to that window and look out the window and tell me what you see. And he said, I see the sky and trees and buildings. He said, no, look deeper and tell me what you see. He said, I see stop signs and cars and people. He said, no, look deeper and tell me what you see. He said, I see birds and restaurants and people eating. He said, no, look deeper and tell me what you see. In his frustration, he said, sir, obviously I'm not seeing what you want. What should I see? He said, until you look at the world and you see people as created beings that God put on this planet that they could be loved and accepted and embraced and taught how much God loves them, you'll never be successful in the, being the person that God wants you to be. Do you see people as human beings that God loves that need to know how much God loves them? Mostly, we just see people as red, yellow, black, white, people to embrace and people to avoid. But I want us to learn how to love each other, say love each other. You can't love from a distance. Love smells bad breath and keeps loving. Now, it's willing to say get a tic-tac or step back. That ain't, that is not unloving. You know, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. I had to tell somebody just this weekend, 
Check right there. Little, that's loving. That's not unloving to say that. You want you want somebody that cares about you. To, got a bat in the cave. This bat was out of the cave. But I mean, you got to let people know. That's loving. You rather you rather have somebody you you're there with than some total stranger walk up to you and say, "Oh, excuse me, but there's a big." You know what I'm saying? We've got to make it up in our minds that we are going to be the people God called us to be. And God loves us, warts and all. God loves us hanging boogers and all. God loves us bad breath and all. Listen, God loves us bad reputation and all. Oh, well, I heard about him. You know, he did such and such. I heard it at his last church he was at. He did so and so with such and such. And listen, God's love is everlasting. It's never failing. It's overriding. It goes beyond faults. And God wants us to love each other beyond our faults. God wants us to love each other so that the whole world can step back and scratch their head. Christian love ought to make the world scratch their head and wonder, how are all those people going to church with those different colored folk? Now, just for clarity, I heard, I heard one, one preacher say that America has colored people backwards, that it's the white people that are colored. And he went on to explain, because he, he was African-American, he said, I'm black all the time. He said, you're colored. I said, okay. He said, yeah, you, you, you pale white right now, but if you get out in the sun, you turn red. Uh, you, you change colors. I stay the same. You get embarrassed, you turn pink. You die, you turn gray. I'll just be black forever. Okay, but we need to have people scratching their heads wondering why can those people from different... We have homeless people coming to this church. We have drug addicts coming to this church. We have doctors coming to this church. Well, at least one. We have... (laughs) Thank God. We, We have people who pay their bills coming to this church and people who don't. But the commonality needs to be our love for each other. And if you think your love for God is what's bringing you to church, that's cool. But don't love God and, and walk by people. Jesus didn't say it's how much you love God that's going to make the world take notice. He said the world will know that you love me by the way you love each other. So I want you to know that you have a responsibility to love human beings. And I can tell you, <laughs> that ain't always easy. I can remember them saying when I was a teenager in Bible college that ministry would be awesome if it wasn't for the people. Well, that's not ministry. That's monkery. If, if you want to be a monk and just go sit in a, in, a, in a room and read your Bible and pray all the time, now for a guy like me, that would be awesome. Because I love quiet. I love solitude. I, I love being with, with the Bible. I could just stay in my office and read and pray all the time, eat every now and then, sleep, read, pray, eat, sleep. I'm okay. But there's a need that God has created inside us and a command that God has placed over us that we involve our lives with human interaction and that we love people. Not because they deserve it, but just because they're people. And I want you to start loving people the way God 
has commanded. I want you to think sometime this week, who do you love? Do you love enough people for you to be able to say that you're a loving person? Galatians 6.10 says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. See, the Bible says that we ought to do good to everybody. But we especially ought to do good to Christian folk. We ought to love and be kind to everybody. But if you can find a dentist who's saved, use a saved dentist. We ought to love and be kind to everybody. But if you can find a restaurant owner who loves the Lord, eat there. We ought to do good to everybody. Digging Jimmy owns a fence company. If you can find a fence builder to love the Lord, you got to build a fence. Build a fence with a, with a Christian. This is, we ought to love everybody. Listen, Christian and non-Christian. Don't mean you got to go fishing with everybody. But we need to learn how to love people the way God has commanded us to love people, especially people who we go to church with. Proverbs 27.10 says, never abandon a friend. How cool would that be? What if every friend you ever had was still your friend? You'd, have, you'd be rich in relationships. Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. You realize you have a command on your life to love your friends and your parents' friends? Too many backstabbers living in this planet today. It goes on to say when disaster strikes, you won't have to ask your brother for assistance. It's better to go to a neighbor than to a brother who lives far away. If you have something break down in your yard and you don't have any friends at all and all your family lives in Georgia, and you got to wait on somebody to drive to Georgia to help you because you don't have any friends in your area, you're not living the life God designed for you to live. It's better to have a close-by friend than, uh, than, than family member who lives far away. But the point is seen in the beginning of this verse, never abandon a friend. You know why God would have to tell us never to abandon a friend, church? Because people do it. If you, know, if you haven't seen it, if you're still stuck in that 12, 14-year-old girl mentality, my friends are my life. I would do anything for them. If you don't believe me, try it. Ooh, you know how scary a 12-year-old girl is, right, to her other 12-year-old girlfriends. But people will abandon you. They will call you a friend, and they will abandon you. But the Bible says that as Christians we should not do that. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. A friend is always loyal, comma, pause on the punctuation. A friend is always loyal. You got somebody that you say is your friend, but half the time they're dipping and dodging, tripping and scheming, in and out. That's not your friend. That's your acquaintance. That's somebody you were a friend to. A friend is always loyal. A friend is somebody that you can count on. A friend is somebody that you don't have to beg to be in your life. And a friend is somebody that you don't have to beg to reconcile with you. If me and Deacon West have an issue, if we have a, a difference of opinion, I know he's hurt right now. Florida State got stomped on last I. I didn't even know if he would make it to church today. You know, I, I 
I know Deacon Jimmy's hurt right now. He's smiling. He's telling everybody that the Cubs have the Indians right where they want them. Down 3-1. One more game and it's over. 108 years the Cubs been trying to win a World Series. 1908. Seth saw a lady in the stand the other day holding a sign. He said she looked like she's about 100 years old, could barely hold the sign of it. She said, please win one in my lifetime. Huh? She was 102. Oh, you saw the same woman. I know. There's differences of opinion. But if we have a friend is somebody who is willing to reconcile with you. And everybody else is just Johnny come lately and they're going to ride out. Because if you got to walk the chalk line and do everything perfect for your friends, if you can't mess up, argue and fuss with them and then restore and reconcile with them, listen, I'm going to tell you something. They wasn't a friend to begin with. Because a friend is always loyal. Doesn't mean you won't bump heads with them. But when you come back and try to say, hey, can we squash that? Already done. Why wouldn't it be? Aren't we friends? Either we are or we're not. And I think we live in a world that doesn't understand love and doesn't understand friendship. The Bible knew about it. It said in Proverbs 18, 24, there are, you know when they do the finger signs, the quotation in the air, finger signs, they, they know that's fake, right? That's bogus. There are friends who destroy each other. But a real friend sticks closer than a brother. You got a friend out there cutting you up, chopping you up, making your life hard. You need to, if you call them a friend, well, that's my friend. You need to say, that's my friend. Snarl your nose up and taste it bad while you say it. And realize that that's not how a real friend is. 2 Timothy chapter 3 gives a list of behavioral patterns that will happen in the last days when the time of Christ's coming is closer and, and lots of bad things are going to happen. And one of the things that 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us in verse 4 is that people will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure more than God. We live in that day and age. Back when America was an agricultural community and people lived on farms and they borrowed a cup of sugar, listen, I had never had anybody knock on my door from next door and say, hey, can I borrow a cup of sugar? Now, that may go to say I ain't been friendly enough to them people. You're living in a $400,000 house asking me to borrow a cup of sugar. You'd better sell something. Go on eBay. We don't live in the same type of community that people lived in 100 years ago when people were there. Harvest time come, you're running behind, your friend come over and help you get your stuff together. There's still a handful of people like that. There's still a remnant full of people like that. But we live, the Bible prophesied that at the end of time, there would come a day when people would betray their friends. See, it's very unusual in the course of human history for someone to betray a true friend. 
until this generation. Until this generation. The Bible says that people would become unreconcilable in the last generation. They used to be your friend, now they don't take your call. They used to be your friend, now they blocked and deleted you. They used to be your friend, and now they act like, no, nah, we, can't, we can't cover that area. We can't, we can't bridge that wrong. Well, they betrayed you, and it's evidence of the end of time. But we need to learn how to love people. We need to learn how to be real friends to each other. We need to learn how to be non-betrayers, non-backstabbers. We need to learn how to be always loyal. We need to learn how to not abandon our friends because the Bible teaches consistently from the beginning to the end that your blessing is tied to your connection. And I want you to get this. This is the point. Your blessing is tied to your connection. You, you heard it in business if you've been in business at all. It's not always what you know. It's That's a connection. That's a hookup. That's somebody that can help you move forward in life, not in a way of using them, but based on connection to them. And it's scriptural. It's biblical. You see, Joshua was connected to Moses, and had he not been, he never would have had the positioning or the blessing that he had. He had to have a connection. Elisha was connected to Elijah. He had to have a hookup. When Elijah knew that his time on earth was at an end, he, Elisha he said, ask me for anything that I can do for you before I go. And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your anointing. And I've seen commentators write how that Elijah did seven recorded miracles in his lifetime and Elisha did 14 recorded miracles in his lifetime and that was the double portion. But that's not true because Elijah did more than seven miracles and Elisha did more than 14. They've manipulated the facts to try to make that double portion mean what they want it to mean. When in ancient Hebrew speak, all the Hebrews knew what that meant. When, they, when a man told another man, I want a double portion of what you have, that one was re reserved only for the firstborn son, who was the closest son in that culture. The firstborn son, now I don't recommend this here, and I try to, to, to not show favoritism among my own children, but in that culture, that's how it went down. Firstborn son... Everything. Everybody else, scraps. Do y'all know that? That's the Hebrew way. Firstborn son got at least twice as much as everybody else. Why? Firstborn son. And when Elisha said, I want a double portion, the Hebrew people knew what he was saying is, I want sonship. <laughs> Elijah responds with, you asked a hard thing. This is a miracle-working dude. This is the man of God. Well, he's, he's, he's the man of the hour, the tower power, too sweet to be sour. He's got it going on like butter and eggs. He is just doing miracles everywhere he goes. Nothing hard for Elijah. He said, you've asked a hard thing. It wasn't hard for Elijah. He knew it was going to be hard for Elisha. Why? Because sonship is hard on the son. Why? Because the dad's always the dad. You want to find out if sonship's hard on a son? Talk to my children. Well, they probably won't dime me out to you because they might not know you like that. But sonship to a real father carries huge blessings. 
But it's also hard because it's got great responsibility. Especially out of the firstborn son. If you live in a large family, you know the oldest kids have all the responsibility put on them. The older kids become the parents to the younger kids. Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. Why? Because it's not easy to be connected to somebody in this life without suffering some type of difficulty. Every one of your children at some point have gotten sideways with you or you've gotten sideways with them or or you're just not living. Y'all living in a fantasy world. But because of the relationship, you're able to quickly overcome that and go right back to, that's my baby or that's my dad. I have had times in my life where I've had to correct my children publicly, and I've watched how other people watch me scold my own children. And I want to stop and take time to tell them, but I don't because they're going to think what they want. But they don't see me get on my knees every night with my children beside their bed and kiss my children goodnight and pray with my children and give everything I have to my children. They don't see the depth of love that I have. There's a blessing tied to your connection. You need to figure out who you're connected to that can flow down a blessing on you. In the natural, that's easy to know. I knew my biological father was not going to leave me a massive inheritance, and he did not. The, the, the connection wasn't there. It was, it was biological only. If you are the child of a wealthy family and you stay in their good graces and get left in the will, you know you got a lot coming. That's in the natural. Everybody doesn't have that. I don't have any wealthy relatives that are going to put me on hookup when they leave this life. But I do have some friends in the body of Christ that I'm connected to that have the opportunity and the ability to bless me, not just financially, but spiritually as well. And you need to be able to have this connected blessing. Because if you're not connected to anybody, then the only blessing you got coming to you is you. And that is not the way God designed it. See, my kids have special things coming to them while I'm alive and even after I go based on the connected blessing. 2 Chronicles 20.20 says, early in the morning, They went out of the wilderness to to Koa, and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now he's speaking to people from Judah. This, This is the close tribe of God's people. And he says, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe in his prophets, so shall you prosper. I've said it many times in 35 years of preaching. If I didn't think that people would mistake this verse, I'd preach this verse every week. I preach this verse around the world in other pastors' churches so that the church members could understand that their blessing is connected to their hookup. If you preach that in your own church, people think you're trying to get something from them. And I'm not trying to get anything from anybody. I'm trying to help somebody this morning. The last part of this, after that colon... Four lines up says, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established, semicolon. Believing in God is what establishes you a place in heaven. That's the whole thing. How you get to heaven? Believe in God. How you get to heaven? Believe. How, how, how can you be sure that you're on the right footing? By your faith 
in God. It says, believe in his prophets, so shall you prosper. So what I want you to understand is you can be established in heaven by believing in God and unsuccessful. See, some newer versions say you'll have success. Prosperity and success are closely linked together in, in etymology. But you can be saved and broke. You can be saved and ignorant. You can be saved and know very little about the Bible. You can be saved and not progressing. Because all you got to do is believe in God for salvation. But prosperity comes through connection. Believe in his prophets. Who's a prophet? Anybody that you let speak to you for God. Believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. I want to tell you this. I'm gonna say, I, don't, I, I say this infrequently. And the only times I say it is because I know it's true and I know that we need it. Your prosperity is linked to the person you let preach to you. If you have a bad link to the person you let preach to you, your prosperity is bad. If you have a good link to the person you let preach to you, your prosperity is good. If you have a don't really care, then you have a don't really care prosperity because the Bible says if you believe, that Hebrew word believe means to listen to and obey. If you listen to and obey God's prophets, those people that speak to God, speak to you for God, you shall prosper. Some of the reasons so many people are broke is because they badmouth their preacher. You don't like a preacher, leave. Go like a different, go, go unlike a different preacher. So many people come to church badmouthing their last pastor. You know what we know about them already? Soon and very soon, they're going to be badmouthing me. So many people come to church mad at their last church. We know what's going to happen. They're going to leave mad here. When this verse clearly says that your prosperity is linked to your profit. See, you don't need a preacher to get in heaven. But you need to believe in somebody that talks to you for God so you can have prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Everybody had a hookup. Timothy had Paul. Without Timothy's hookup to Paul, he would not have been able to do all that God called him to do. When God was taking Moses off the earth, one of the last things God said to Moses was take Joshua and put some of your spirit on him. Read the word. He didn't say put my spirit on him that I've given you. He said, Moses, put some of your spirit on him. Because I've blessed you with prosperity, and you're going to be able to pass that blessing down to him. Some people have no connection to a blessing anywhere because they're just an island unto themselves. Don't need anybody. I'm my own man. I'm a strong woman. I make my own way. Well, if the Bible is true, and it is, and if your blessing is linked to your connectivity and you refuse to be connected to anything, then you got a very limited chance at prospering. And that's not just talking about money. That's physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. As I, as I think about stuff like this, I'm thinking, well, we all just all go to a big church where the preacher got 52 degrees and, and knows everything about the Bible and drives nine Rolls Royces and lives in a big house and got lots of money. And, I mean, if, if our connection if our prosperity is based on our connection, then we ought to all go chase that dude and get connected to him. Well, the problem with that is they ain't room in all them churches for everybody. They won't accept all of us, 
and God hadn't designed all of us to be there. God has designed our connections throughout eternity. You're here based on God's design. Not only that, a lot of people went to the big church until the preacher got found out he was sleeping with boys. Atlanta, Georgia, new birth, the largest churches in America. Everybody's like, I go to new birth. I left mom in them church because Eddie Long preaching over here, and he's anointed. Well, read the newspaper. Chicken's coming home to roost. Listen, I told y'all from the beginning, I, I'm a person in my process. I'm an imperfect human being. I got faults and flaws uh, just like... Uh, other human beings have faults and flaws. I prophesy to this to you today uh, with assurance of God listening to me. You ain't never going to hear nothing about Scott Becker sleeping with little boys. Amen? So rejoice in that. A lot of people tried going to these big churches, but God didn't send them there. They went there off agenda. You need to be connected where God tells you to be connected. Not because you think that some man can give you something. Not See, some people approach large ministry pastors like they're sugar daddies. Like, I want to get connected to you because I, I, I see so much good happening in your life. No, you need to let God establish your friendships. You need God let God establish where you do ministry. You need to let God establish who you're connected to. But when you are connected to a group of people, you need to make a full-fledged determination I am going to love the people that God puts in my life, no matter what. No matter, well, they didn't come to so-and-so's funeral. I don't know if I can love them anymore. A friend loves at all times. God puts you with, you don't, you don't throw somebody out. You don't, you don't, you don't tell them, uh, no, you, 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 they, I, I can't deal with you anymore because you messed up. Listen, dad can mess up. He comes home. Hey, my kids can be as mad as me as they want to be. When I walk in the door, the corner chair on that green lazy boy sectional that kicks out, that's dad's chair. I don't have to earn that back. Well, dad, I don't think you did your best today. I don't know if you still get to be dad. I would say, I would tell you to say that again, but you don't really want what's coming. If you go, you better leave. The people you love don't have to earn the right to be the people that you love. You just love them. And you don't give up on your love for them because you know God put you together. And so we got to learn how to love each other. Because we can't be fully blessed without proper connection to God and to people. I'm going to run through a story in the Old Testament real quick. I'm going to get you out of here on time which means nothing because we don't have a time, but I'm, I'm going to get you out of here <laughs> before too much longer. I want you to see how God can use people in your life to make things happen for you that you can't make happen on your own because too many people are walking around with, I'll make it my, my own way. I do my own thing. I don't need anybody else. The devil has bewitched you and caused you to think improperly. People thinking, well, I'm not going to go to that church anymore and hang out with those people anymore because they did X, Y, and Z, and I don't think it's right. You're just going to go somewhere else and find out about X, Y, and Z, and you're not going to think that's right over there either. 
So you need to learn how to love the people that God has in your life. You need to learn how to love your friends, not be what others have been to you. A disloyal, lying, fake, phony friend who said they were ride or die until they stabbed you in the back. Because that's not how God blesses people. In the Old Testament book of Ruth, in, in chapter 1, I'm going to just read through this Bible study style and pull a few things out and then we're going to go. In Ruth 1.1, 1, 1, the Bible says, In the days when judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. All right, so here's what we got. We got a dude named Elimelech. He's got a wife named Naomi. They got two sons. Well, and they're living in Judah. They're living in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the most blessed city on the planet. Bethlehem means house of bread. It means, you know, and, and what, what do we call money in the 70s? What do we call money? You got any of that what? Got any of that bread. Let me get some bread. I got to go out and make that bread. He lived in a blessed place, and he left that. You start leaving your connection, you're moving in the wrong direction. There's a lot I'm not going to pull out of this, but I'm going to give you something. Moab place that doesn't even follow God is, is, is a place of devastation. They left a good place to go to a bad place. There's a message there. He didn't just leave. He took his wife and his two sons with him. So they're getting messed up by connection. Your connection can hook you up or mess you up. In verse 2 says the man's name was Elimelech. His wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. These people they had some issues. They picked bad names for their children. If you study their names, one means puny and the other means crybaby. <laughs> That's no good. Don't do that. You're going to research names for your child and be like, oh, this one means disgusting liar. I didn't think we should go with that. No. But they did it. They, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. These are from a good, strong Hebrew family that loved Jehovah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. That's a whole big message in that word settled. No, you, you ain't supposed to settle for stuff. You're supposed to get what God has for you. You're supposed to follow the leading of the Lord so you can be connected to who God wants you to be connected with, not leave the place you're in and go settle for something else. Verse 3 says, then Elimelech died. Why? God said, follow me for life. Go the wrong way for death, blessing and curse. And Naomi was left with her two sons. Now, this was not the generation to be a single mother. This was not a good generation to be a woman without a husband. Talk about covering, provision, protection. She, she went from a place where all her family was, followed her man. He goes out in the wrong way, dies, got her and her two sons out there puny and whiny they're settling there though what's the brother gonna do verse 4 says the two sons married Moabite women it's just getting worse God had already told them do not marry the daughters of Moab do not marry the daughters of Moab there are racist people to try to use these verses verses like that to say that races should not intermarry, and that's a lie because God's people intermarried across racial lines all throughout the Bible. God didn't say don't marry the daughters of Moab because they were a different race. He said don't marry the daughters of Moab because they followed a different religion. 
I'm going to keep moving. They married non-Christian women. One married a woman named Orpah. Now, we know somebody whose name is almost that way. Y'all, do y'all know that Oprah Winfrey got her name from this verse? Her mother didn't know how to spell Orpah. She thought she was talking about this woman from Ruth, and she got the R and the P mixed up and put Oprah. All right, so that's the truth. You wonder how Oprah got started. Messed up name. Made a lot of money off it. Listen, and the other woman named Ruth. So Naomi's got these uh, two sons. One of them marries Orpah. The other one marries Ruth. But about 10 years later, Malon and Kilion died. Okay, so the dad is dead. The sons are dead. And this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If in a 10-year period of your time, you lose your spouse and both your kids, you're not feeling great. You're not having a great 10 years. And you are not, you're a woman in a male-dominated society. You don't have your husband to look out for you. Now you don't even have your two grown sons to look out for you. They ain't left you with these two girls that don't even love the same God you love. So Naomi is in a hurt. Verse 6 says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Naomi figured out, look, we're over here in the wrong place with the wrong people. I got to get back to my people. I got to get back to the people that love the Lord. I got to get back to the people that I used to be connected with because life was better when I was hooked up with the right people. Verse 7, she said, With her two daughter-in-law, she set out from the place she had been living, and they took the road which would lead them back to Judah. So Naomi's husband died. Both her children died. She got these two tag-along, vagabond, step not step what do you call them? Daughter-in-laws. Daughters-in-law, daughters-in-law, uh, that ain't even Christian. But they, they, where are they going to go? They figure, hey, we, you know, we'll we just do this thing together. But in verse 8, on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and me. So she sends them back with a prayer of blessing and says, y'all just need to go back. So y'all's connection, I'm going to my connection. Verse 9 says, May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. She then kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. So now we got a woman party going on. <laughs> all the men are dead. You got, a, you got three widows, one older, two younger. Naomi is telling them, look, ain't nothing I can do for y'all. I lost everything I had. Y'all need to go back. Your blessing is hooked to your connection. You better go get in mama's house and try to get hooked back up. Verse 10, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. Now, in verse 9, it says they all broke down and wept. And in verse 10, they both said no. 
No, they said. Both daughters are crying and weeping. Listen, don't believe everybody that hugs your neck, cries crocodile tears on your neck is really with you. Because they're like, no, we, we, we want to stay with you. We want to go with you to your people. Because they both know you're our hookup. And we, we're smart enough to know our blessing is connected to the people God put in our life. And God put you in our life because you're following the real God and our family's not. But Naomi replied in verse 11, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who grow up to be your husband? She's like, I ain't got nothing for y'all. I'm too old for all that. Verse 12, no, my daughters return to your parents' home, for I'm too old to marry again. Then she got to thinking, I don't know. Social media? You know, blacklove.com? I'm going to invent whitelove.com, just see how fast they shut it down. Um. Oh, that is funny. She says, ah, well, I'm too old to marry again. Well, even if, even if I do marry again, even if I got married tonight, wow, you went on quick, didn't you? That's how they do. It's like, he's gone, let's ride. What? For real? Even if I got married again tonight and bear sons, then what? You're going to wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry somebody else? Of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She knows that because her and her husband left where God had them planted and went out into something that was less of what God had for them, that all this bad stuff has happened to her based on disobedience. And she's like, look, y'all better go and get it together where y'all are going. I got to get it together because I've been backsliding and, and life's bitter now. Y'all both still young, good looking. I'm old and wore out. Y'all better go have y'all a life. Get you a good man. It's easy, just as easy to marry somebody rich as poor. Keep that in mind and you know go do what you got to do but God has raised his fist against me verse 14 and again they wept together now we got another woman meeting going on they're crying but listen to the turn in the story and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye didn't take a whole lot of convincing on Orpah she's like yeah there's some good-looking men back there in Moab and I ain't hey I ain't young enough to give up on this thing because I still got it, you know, pretty much going on right now. And get back up in the cut and find me a man. But listen to what the Bible says. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. So your blessing is hooked to who you're connected to. So Orpah figures, better for me, get back over there with them Moabites. I tried this Hebrew thing, and all these men died, and I'm out here with these two women. They can't do nothing for me. I'm going to go try to get my own hookup. That never works well. Okay? Verse 16, but Ruth replied. Now Naomi's telling her, go on, get. Go on with your sister-in-law and go chase men back in Moab. I got to go get right with God in Judah. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. 
Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Authors of literature have isolated this portion of Scripture out, and even atheists and agnostics and people from all different literary genres have said this is possibly the most beautiful writing in all of the earth's history. I've done a lot of marriages in my life, and a lot of people want this as in, in, in their marriage covenant. It, it, it says in, in the King James, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to stop from following after thee. Wherever you go, I'll go. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you live, I'll live. And where you die, I'll be buried there also. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death and life, part me and thee. And men and women, they stand up there and say that as their vow. And I'm thinking, y'all know there's two chicks saying this to each other, right? I'm just saying, this ain't, this ain't really a marriage thing, but, I mean, it, it's a love thing. So it works, amen? If it works, it works. And <laughs> Ruth is saying, I'm not going to leave you, old lady, because I want to be where you are, because I love you, and I believe we're connected. And I don't want anything. I don't want to go back to my old life. I don't want to go back to those Moabites because I know they don't really love God. I want your God to be my God. I want your people to be my people. See, in a world today that is so segregated and so divided by race and, 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 and white people think that white is right and, 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 and black people want to hold up a fist for black power, in, in, in a world where in some of our lifetimes people were lynched and murdered and killed just because they knew segregation was wrong and they wanted to be able to integrate and sit on the bus where they wanted to sit on the bus and go to the school they wanted to go to. Now, 50 short years later, we got a whole new crowd of people saying, Living on, don't, let's don't integrate. Let's have black-only communities, black love only. Let's spend all our black dollars in black business. Is that really what Dr. King was dying for? I don't see it that way. I'm not trying to get you mad at me because love overcomes anger. But she's saying, I'm not trying to go back to my people just because they were originally my people. She found a new people that was better for her than the old people, and she was determined to stay stuck with the new people because she knew that the new people were serving God. So I'm not looking for my people. I'm not trying to get back to my roots. I don't have a desire to live on a cotton farm outside of West Monroe, Louisiana with people who are related to me. I want to be connected to the people that God has put in my life that love the same God I love. It's about a connection. And she said, wherever you die, that's where I'm going to die. Now this, you want to talk about ride or die? Next, next time you hear somebody even use the phrase ride or die, say, I'm going to need you to read Ruth chapter 1. Because you can't, you can't ride or die with me if you, if you can't be Ruth chapter 1. If you can't look me in my face and tell me wherever you die, that's where I'm going to die. 
Where, where you live, I'm going to live. I'm going to be buried where you're going to be buried. Your friend's going to be my friend. Your God is going to be my God. Your family's going to be my family. And that's it. This is the original ride or die. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Can't do nothing about it. If somebody is determined to love you, you can't shake them. If somebody is determined to love you, you ain't getting away from them. Do what you want to do. They'll come find you. Shake loose if you want to. They'll track you down. Naomi knew this girl ain't playing. She just said all that deep stuff in a minute. The other girl already hit the road. Because she didn't believe that her success was linked to her connection. She figured she'd just connect with any old body. That's what's wrong with America today. We've been hooking up with all the wrong people. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Accepting stuff that wasn't God's best for our life. And allowing our children to go out and accept stuff that's not best. God's best for their life. Naomi trying to get her to go, but Ruth wasn't having it. Ruth's like, I love you and I'm not leaving you. Old woman. Might have had to flex on her a little bit and let her know. You need me. And I need you. I love you. You got things that help us. But I'm young and I'm strong. And I love you and I can help us too. Everybody plays their part. Ruth knew what it felt like to lose a husband. She knew what her mother-in-law was going through. and She wanted to be there because she loved her and because she knew this woman was connecting her to the one true God. Verse 19 says, so the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is that really Naomi? The women asked. And it goes on to tell what happens after that. And what happens after that is Naomi's all depressed, and she's like, don't call me Naomi because that means beautiful and lovely. Call me Mara because that means bitter, and God's turned against me, and I'm old and broken down. And then they love her anyway and build her back up. And one of, one of, one of Naomi's people sees this unmarried Ruth, and he's rich and wealth and got lots of stuff. His name is Boaz, and he's actually in the lineage of Christ. And he comes and he rescues this young almost orphan, surely widowed woman and makes her life so much better by connection. That girl that left didn't get a Boaz, didn't get a kinsman redeemer, didn't find somebody that somebody that she was connected to was connected to that could come and be God's blessing in her life. See, I believe why that's one of the important things about churches. I believe it puts you around a lot of people that can connect you to people that can connect you to people that can connect you to your blessing. That's why I think it's important that you respect your pastor. I don't stand up here and beat my chest. I tell people, uh, call, call me Dr. Reverend Bishop, founder, potentate, grand prelate. It's all these titles people have. Ridiculous. October. Pastor Appreciation Month. I have friends whose church has just bought them new cars. 
don't know what they're going to do with the new car they got last year. Church never bought me a car. Church gave me a penny for pastor. Churches all across the world celebrate Pastor Appreciation Month in October. We don't say anything about it. Why? Because I'm not up here to beg for people's appreciation. And I, I'm, I'm guessing that you need your money much as I need mine. And I'd rather you just give to the Lord as God leads you, and I give to the Lord as God leads me, and he'll bless us together. <laughs> Pastor Appreciation Month started for a good reason, because a lot of pastors weren't being appreciated by their church, and if, he, if your pastor your connection to your blessing and you're not appreciating him, then you're cutting your connection loose. We need each other. That older lady needed that younger lady. She didn't even realize it. She was trying to shoo her off. Say, you go on and go. Take, take your little Moabite self on and be, be done. I'm going to go back and make my life all over again, and you don't have to be part of it. <laughs> Ruth knew, you need me too. See, and I don't think pastors in some of these larger churches understand and realize. They're standing up there beating their chest, talking about respect me, Call, call me bishop, call me apostle, call, call me potentate. You need me. We do need pastors. The Bible says that God gave us pastors as a gift so that we could grow and become the people that God wants us to be. But I'm not sure that all these title-hungry, Mercedes-driving, big-house-living preachers realize that they need the people too. We all need a Naomi in our life. And we all need a Ruth in our life. See, I understand that you need me in your life. Because your connection to prosperity is based according to the scripture on your connection to me. But I need you in my life too. Because that old saying that people used to say ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. Is a lie because ministry is the people. And we can do better together than we can do on our own. Hallelujah. And if you study the next few chapters in the book of Ruth, you'll find out. Naomi was a blessing. Ruth was a blessing to Naomi. And Naomi was a blessing to Ruth. And their lives were better together. And they didn't part company through tragedy. They didn't part company in the midst of bitterness. They didn't part company in the midst of difficulty. They made a determination that says, I'm down with this. And we're going to finish this together. And it worked for them. Don't walk away from the people God connects you with. Too many people walking away from God's best for their life. Now listen, if they walk away from God, then you got to walk away from them. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, last verse I'm going to put up there and we're done. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Paul is talking about himself and all the apostles. The tradition to love God, love people, walk in unity, walk on one accord. Any brother, Christian, that walks away and is disorderly and is not walking in love and harmony and grace, we are commanded by God to withdraw from that person. 
And see, this is how some people get their connection all messed up. God tries to move people out of your life, and you want to reach on and hold on to them. You want to stay stuck on them because you like them. You want to keep a hand on the old and still believe God for the new. Well, I told you 2016, God wanted to be your year of freedom. But you can't grab something new while you're holding on to what is old. You can't reach ahead while you're holding on to the behind. God said the one thing, or Paul said the one thing that he did to be successful was forget the past and live in the now. And look forward to what's ahead. So here's what I want you to do. We're not going to have a salvation invitation. If you're not saved, ask God to save you. He'll do it. That's easy. If you are saved, here's what I want you to understand. Your blessing is linked to your connection. You need to hold on to the right people. You need to let go of the wrong people. But they're my friend. Withdraw from them in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. But they were there for me. Withdraw from them. But they're Christians too, just like me, from every brother. You need to latch on to the Naomi's of the world. You need to latch on to the Moseses and the Pauls and the Elijahs of the world. You need to latch on to people who preach hell hot and eternity long. You need to find somebody who's still telling the truth from a pulpit and not begging for a check and clamoring for membership. You need to get in a church where you believe God wants you to be, and you need to lock your mind down and say, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, I ain't leaving. They'd have to bump me up out of here with a bulldozer. Then I'm going to steal the keys to the bulldozer and come back. Ruth is one of the most blessed human beings in the Bible. She did not bring about her own blessing. It was her connection to some woman of God that brought her in to her destiny. And we need to understand that we are connected as a church. That doesn't make the people on this stage better and the people in the seats worse. We're all the same. We're just human beings, imperfect human beings trying to serve a perfect God. But some of y'all holding on to y'all's connection like it's not valuable to you. And I want you to draw in. Does that mean you want me to call you every day, Pastor? No. <laughs> I want you to pray for me every day. I want you to put something nice on my Facebook while you're blasting everybody else's Facebook. I want us to be connected in a way that says we love each other. I hate funerals more than anybody I know. First funeral I went to was my grandfather. My father walked out on me. I was abandoned. Uh, I never felt loved by, by any man in my life at that point other than my grandfather. And I didn't see him that much, but I knew he was a, a man that loved me. First funeral I went to, Dean and I were living in England. My grandfather died. We had to fly back to America, go to this funeral. It was horrible country people. They kept him for a week and a half in the, in the house, waiting on family to get there. The body started breaking down. It was just a scene. 
at the church. His sister climbed in the casket and was pulling him up out of the casket. And it was just, I mean, it was a hard thing for a six-year-old to look at. And I knew that at that point funerals wasn't for me. Ten years ago, I had to preach my wife's funeral. I had avoided funerals from the time I was six years old till the time I was 43 years old. Because I was just like, they ain't for me. I don't, and I, I still don't like funerals. Miss Given's son died recently. And we were invited to the funeral. And I thought, God, you know I don't go to funerals. But I thought, I sure do love that little old lady coming into church on a walker, always looking pretty and always having a good smile. And I love her family, so I didn't know Pookie. And I don't even go to funerals, but I'm going to go to this one. And I sat in the back by myself. I only knew a couple people there based on their connection to our church. But I appreciate y'all inviting me, and I appreciate you allowing me to come to that funeral. Because it reminded me, I need the goldsmiths. I need Miss Mills in my life. I need the people that God has sent here that don't go away. I need the people that are willing to say, this is my church. This is where I go. This is where God put me. That's why I'm connected. You don't have to like me all the time. Goldsmiths don't like me all the time. They should. (laughs) But we are family. By the command of God. I want you to get your connection tighter. Show up more. Come around more. Get involved more. And let God grow your friendships. Because your blessing is tied to your connections. And God wants to hook you up by putting you together with people that love him. Because if we all love God together, when we come together in one place, that's going to be a lot of love in one place. And then we'll be able to see what Jesus said in our opening text. The whole world's going to know. Those people really follow Jesus because I can see that they care about each other. So it doesn't mean that we all know where each other lives. It doesn't mean that we all go fishing together. It doesn't mean that we all play cards together at the same house at the same time. But you ought to find somebody's house to go play cards at. You ought to find somewhere to go play some backgammon. You ought to find somewhere to, in this church so you can find somebody to eat lunch with. Start praying that God would deepen your connections with the family. And if you'll read what God did for Ruth, you'll know that's what I want for me. I want to be connected to the right people that God has for me so that I can be all that God wants me to be. Walk away from people who walked away from the command of God and hold on to the people that God put in your life. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the family of God here at Abundant Life, Lord. Thank you for placing us together 
you've brought us from different backgrounds and different churches to come into this one place. And, Lord, we really don't even know each other. All of us don't. But, God, I know that we can love each other, and I know that we can accept and hold to a unity that you've commanded. So I ask, God, that you would strengthen the unity in our family as a church family, God. I pray that you'd strengthen our effectiveness in this community, that the people of this community would know that we are not one of those bickering, backbiting churches. We are one of those loving, accepting churches. And let the whole world know that you're our God. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your spirit that guides us. Lord, I pray you'd save the lost and encourage your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.